Hi, I'm Jean Godfrey June, and this is Megan O'Neill. We're the beauty editors at Goop. And you're listening to Goop's podcast series, The Beauty Closet, where we talk about all things beauty clean, non toxic beauty, skin care, hair care, body care, self care, and the way we think about beauty both as individuals and in the wider culture. Okay, wow. Today is seriously, seriously a great one. We're talking to Francesco Clark. He's the founder of the amazing skincare line, Clark's Botanicals, and a man who actually has one of the most inspiring, incredible stories I've ever heard. He was paralyzed at 24 years old after a diving accident in a pool and was told he wouldn't live and that if he did live, he wouldn't breathe, move, or speak again on his own. But now he's 43 and he does all those things and has regained an incredible amount of mobility in his upper body. Gene, you've known Francesco for a while, right? Yeah, since the beginning of his brand, Clark's Botanicals. He's one of those people that you hear about and you're like, he's so inspiring and, you know, it's almost intimidating. And then you meet the person and you just want to sit there and like discuss all day because he's hilarious. He's yeah. so funny, so handsome. I think about the last time I saw him before, before COVID, we were sitting in... Pasties. Pasties, thank you. Yeah, I think I, I saw you after that. Um, and the times that I've seen him, I mean, I remember him coming into my office early on and the being able to see how he changed his own body and what he's been able to do to regain movement is just, I mean, it's a miracle, except that it's not a miracle. It's through his sort of joyful determination is <laughs> what I would say about him. The last time I saw him, we were sitting and having a cocktail and he was eating with, you know, a knife and fork. Yeah. Apparently, a person who was told he would never move again and telling me jokes and always with the jokes with, with Francesco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he, yeah, I, I mean, the last time I saw him before this, our zoom today was, I mean, he just always looks so poised and at ease and he's so quietly confident and he looks so good in a suit. He's the most it's true in the world but he just the way he dresses he just like has a knack for wearing a beautiful crisp suit and looking comfortable in it you know not Italian I think (laughs) he's amazing and his skincare is amazing I love his detox the dual cleanser charcoal face mask I think it's called dual detox it's so incredible it leaves your skin so smooth and silky and it's just a beautiful experience yeah, he, I mean, I love all of his products, but especially he's changed everything since he bought his company back. We will get into that in the podcast. But the thing I just, I cannot live without is his jasmine cream. He makes this incredible, like it, he, he has some like jasmine complex, but they whip it into this thing. It's like a gel cream. The texture is so exquisite and you just feel so good on your skin. I can't even say. He's, he's kind of a genius with the product. Okay, well, should we get to him? Absolutely. This is a good one. Francesco, I've known you since you've started your line and your story, which is so beautifully told in your book, Walking Papers, I cannot recommend that book more highly, is a story people might not predict would have resulted in an amazing skincare line, which I also can't recommend more highly, and a huge career in the beauty space, not to mention being the subject on a documentary on happiness. You were working in fashion at age 24 and you had a terrible accident. 
can you quickly tell us about that? What happened and how it affected your body? I was celebrating a promotion at work from Harper's Bazaar. And after one year there, I was getting promoted. I had a summer share house in Long Island in um, the Hamptons. And I dove into a pool on a perfectly beautiful sunny day, Memorial Day weekend. The second that I dove in, I realized that the metal ring ladder that's normally in the deep end was in the shallow end. I became paralyzed in the blink of an eye when my chin hit the bottom of the pool. And I was underwater awake thinking I was the biggest idiot in the world. Then as I was recovering, having survived, the surgeon said I had a less than 19% chance of surviving that night. But not only could I not move or feel, I would learn later, my skin stopped reacting to temperature and my skin stopped sweating. And when that happened, I could, even today, it could be 105 degrees outside and my skin won't sweat. So it doesn't have its ability to release toxins from itself. It can't regulate itself. And it became like a perfect storm of anything and everything that could go wrong with your skin went wrong with mine. I looked 10 years older than I was. My skin was red and dry, but oily and gray in other areas and nothing worked. I tried prescription creams and medications. Yeah, nothing worked. And that's when I turned to my father, who's a medical doctor and a homeopathic doctor. This was not done to make a product line. This was done because I was dealing with a very deep and dark depression. Right, understandable. Yeah, you know, (laughs) trauma. Mm -hmm. And all I wanted to do was to undo this sense of grief that I put my family through. And all I wanted to do was to deal with this near-death experience of having a second chance at living and to show other people that, you know, I was worthy of that second shot. And having put them through this huge amount of stress, I wanted to show them that I would be good enough for everything that they did for me, sleeping by my bedside every night in the hospital and and Mm. really helping to care for me. But it became a skincare line because I wanted, three years after my injury, I wanted to interact with other people. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. we all relate to that feeling now, for sure. I wanted to look the way that I felt. I felt happy, I felt strong. I did not look happy, I did not look strong. And I wanted people to want to interact with me and I wanted to interact with other people. And it was really the day that Christopher Reeve passed away that I realized I needed to take responsibility for my own life and the path forward because he was Superman, you know, he was my hero. Yeah. And I realized like, we all have to be our own heroes. And so that's when Clark's Botanicals became that tool to want to reconnect with other people. So him, him dying was sort of like an epiphany moment and you were like, I have to do something, make my skincare, and that sort of carried you out of your despair? Yes. Christopher Reeve passing made me realize that I had been relying so much on this other person to be my advocate. And then when he passed away, I realized there's no reason why each one of us can't be our own advocates. And in doing that, I suddenly had to face 
myself in the mirror and interact with other people. In order to become more active in life, you have to interact with other people. Up until that point, I didn't look in the mirror for three years. And I couldn't be in a room with a lot of windows because all I would notice was a wheelchair and I would start crying. So, you know, we all, and, and it's funny because like, when you think about fashion and beauty, many people think of it as a very shallow and frivolous experience. Yeah. For me, it's a complete 180 degree opposite. opposite. One of the first things that you notice, and they say this in medicine, is when you start to experience depression is that you don't care about the way that you look. It's true. It's, it's the first thing that shows somebody's coming back from something, you know, either a trauma or a depression is that they, they start to be like, oh, my hair, you know, or my skin. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because the beauty industry has been one of the most embracing industries that I would have ever imagined. I mean, the amount of support for when you and I first met Jean and, and Megan, when I met you the first time, Clark's Botanicals was just this little like jar that we were making in the kitchen. <laughs> and we were only making it because my sister started stealing it because my skin looked better. And then my mom started right. stealing it because her skin and my skin looked better. And we were just giving it away. We weren't even selling it, but it became a thing in the same way that my parents were by my bedside in the hospital because we had people that supported this idea because the product worked so well that of course Clark's Botanicals would do well because mm -hmm. you have this like groundswell of support from people. It became a business in a very different kind of way. It didn't start from a PNL or a business. Okay, or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's very, it was very different. Not a focus group generated uh, idea. No. <laughs> no, I am the lab bunny. It actually, everything that we do has to work with my skin. And because my skin is so sensitive and reactive, the Jasmine Catalyst Complex that we have in all of our products is very oh, exact. So good. And it's balanced. So, yeah. You talked about sort of the mental journey of, bringing yourself sort of out into the world and creating this company in the process. But how, like, I think for people who don't know, because I've certainly seen you change physically over the years that I've known you dramatically, what you've managed to accomplish with your body is just, you know, incredible. And I feel like people would love to sort of know how you did it and what that process was. Yeah. No, absolutely. And it's kind of crazy to think about. And it's, it's always, you notice it more than I do, Jean, because yeah. whenever we see each other, you'll notice the improvement. A new, yeah, you're yeah. like, we're at all of a sudden you're eating with a knife and fork when yes. I thought, you know, yes. I thought you couldn't move your arms yet. There you are. There you're doing it. It makes me cry with joy every time I think about it. It's just, yeah. you know, and when I see you on Instagram and you're on some like high tech machine and you're doing all these things with your leg, it's just, it's strength. It's mental strength, but it's physical strength. And I wonder about the amount of work that has to go into that, how you've made that change. It's important to me to always make it fun. And I'm not afraid of being the idiot in the room. That's I'm, amazing. <laughs> as I'm doing it. I mean, when I was in the ICU, my lungs collapsed my vocal cords stopped working and I couldn't move my arms. The doctor said I wouldn't be able to breathe on my own or ever talk or 
again, move my arms, think about my legs or anything like that. So I was on life support for about 10 days. I remember them like it was yesterday. I, can, I remember that. Those like, days. I remember the smells, the, the smell of plastic everywhere. I remember every beep. I had a tube wow. that was going up my nose, a feeding tube. I was intubated, so going into my mouth. And it really hurts when it's in your throat after a while. And you have all of these other tubes that like, I didn't feel human for a couple of nights when I would wake up at 2.30 or 3 in the morning where I started to think, you know, at what point do I not feel like a human being? Because there are all these machines that were keeping me alive. And I was kind of going through a lot of this introspection of thinking yeah. about what it means to be alive and what it means to have that sense of respect for what you want to do in your life when you have this new opportunity. But you shouldn't have to go through trauma to feel that way, but that's how I yeah. feel. So then when they were talking about taking the breathing tube out of my mouth, the doctor was speaking with my mother and my father, and he said he's probably not going to be able to breathe on his own. We just, but we won't know until we try. But we need your, you know, permission. You have to we need your permission. Yeah. And so my mom said, no, he would, he would want to try. And luckily, my diaphragm worked enough that I didn't need to be intubated. But my left lung had totally collapsed. And so they gave me this straw to blow in that was attached to this cup with a red ball in it. And you had to blow into this thing for two and a half hours every day, which was the most boring thing you could do. And so I said, I'm not doing this. And my best friend from elementary school and my sister came into my room in the ICU in Long Island and they brought speakers and I started singing the best of ABBA. In oh the my ICU. God. Instead of doing the breathing exercise, because I was like, this is like, how do I make this fun? and breathe and <laughs> my lung capacity went, came back to normal after that i willed my lungs back with really bad singing <laughs> but we and you didn't have to will because you made it fun i think that stands yeah. in for so many things that we do as human beings including yeah. like beauty rituals and you know like why do we do those things and yet they feed us too you know yeah and I think that's one of the things that I was able to learn from in that experience was what, it, what are the smallest things that I could do every day on a consistent basis that could build upon each other. Yeah. So I bought a dry erase board, a huge dry erase board, and I wrote the days of the week on the dry erase board and I would, like a funny inspirational quote, I mean, I do this every week and every day, uh -huh. but I pick a funny inspirational quote and Every day I write down all the exercises that I do, but then I also started to write down things that I would do for fun and things that I would do for work. And what you start to notice is when you skip a day or two, uh -huh. as long as it's written down where you can see it and acknowledge it, your body's like, no, 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 you can't skip. Like, so you start <laughs> yeah. to build this healthy pattern. Oh, that's a, that's a good trick. I'm, I'm going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> that. That but I automatically, powerful. yeah, I mean, I automatically started to, like when I stand, I have a machine that I stand, but while I'm standing, I'm on conference calls for work. And I have a bike that I pedal when I lay down with my arms and my legs. And while I'm on that, I'm on calls for work as well. So, you know, in the beginning, I was only doing physical therapy for seven or eight hours a day, trying to wiggle my, my pinky. 
Yeah. And move and it would just become like, I'm not a rope. I can't be this robotic. And so that's when it became less of doing this or that, but started starting to think about this and that. Uh-huh. Uh, so doing therapy and working at the same time or doing therapy and catching up with friends. And when I started to think about it that way, I noticed that the dry erase board was very consistent of doing therapy every day because it wasn't boring anymore. Yeah. yeah. That's such a good life lesson. And going back to the skincare, so you said your mom and sister were, were Clark Botanical's first fans, but it was the fashion industry that sort of took it to the next level. How did that happen? So this was five years after my injury. And Glenda Bailey, the editor-in-chief of Harper's Bazaar, who you know, I used to work Amazing. there, called me into the office. Oh, I'd like to catch up. You know, she's British. <laughs> and I love her and we're good friends, but I couldn't afford an aide or a driver at the time. And my sister was in graduate school, so she was driving me around everywhere. And she's like, I'll drive you. Let's go. We get to the offices and we're just catching up. And Glenda said, well, you look the same as you did before. You just always look like you're like about to stand, but you're sitting. My sister, who stole one of the ugly glass vials that were on my desk, said, He's not just sitting around doing nothing. And she <laughs> took out this glass vial and gave it to Glenda in front of me. And I'm mortified. This <laughs> is your not former like, boss. Yeah. I had nothing to, I wasn't pitching a business. I wasn't yeah. there to sell yeah. something. And Glenda said, well, if you're using it, then I have to put it on my face and I have to try it. Wow. So whatever. I got embarrassed. We went home. I thought nothing of it. We got a call four weeks later that they were including it in the September issue. And And you weren't even going to mention it. Like you weren't there for that. No, like it wasn't a brand. It was, I literally making it in the kitchen in Bronx. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on the phone with Glenda's assistant and I said, thanks, but no thanks. And she said, wait, hold on. Before you hang up, I'm going to put you on the phone with the beauty director. And then I got on the phone with Alexandra and She said, it doesn't really matter if you say yes or no, we're going to put it in there. And I'm like, (laughs) oh my God. And so then she said, you know, Glenn is giving you six months, find a factory, find two reputable retailers, but it's happening. And that is when Clark's Botanicals happen. And I have to say, it's like when my parents were by my bedside in the ICU, where of course I was going to get better because... They believed in me so much that my mom turned to the doctor and turned back to me and she said, Sposta qualcosa, move something in Italian. Uh And when I touched my shoulder, she was like, you don't know Francesco. So in that moment, I thought to myself, of course I'm going to get better physically because if my Italian mother (laughs) says that it's going to happen, it has to happen. It's going to happen. In the same way, Glenda and and bizarre supporting this idea of something that I never even was considering. Of course it would be successful because there was such this incredible support from the beauty industry and from you guys. I mean, it really was like, what the heck does a guy in a wheelchair know about skincare? And when you Except start- that to, you do. <laughs> but I didn't. But the thing is, I came into it from a point of view of, 
I was a skincare idiot, but I had mm-hmm. everything to learn. I had everything to learn in that industry. And so coming at it from that angle, I wasn't afraid of asking the questions of, you know, how do you formulate molecular weight? And using my dad and my mom and my sister and like them all being doctors, using them as encyclopedias um, allowed for me to really grow in the space. But as a person, having a near-death experience, you could have put me on the phone with the Pope and I would have been like, Hello. Papa Pete, what's going on? (laughs) So, yeah. It's funny. It's something that Gwyneth actually talks a lot about that, you know, she started her blog in 2008 and become what it's become and having to ask questions. There's only so much that you can pretend that just asking the questions. I think there's so much of your story, especially when it gets, you know, any sort of coming back from some tragedy that people, there's this, this inner grit and this focus on the individual. And that is a huge part of it, obviously. And then the other part that I hear so much is we want to think in this culture that we're just our little self, you know, doing our thing and we're going to either succeed or fail. But without the people around us, we, we wouldn't live, let alone succeed or fail. And your story has so much of that willingness to, to accept help, to ask people questions that took you on your journey. I don't know. How yeah. do you get so that you can accept help? Because I think a lot of people can't and to their detriment. That is a wonderful question. And I think I spent many years not asking for help. And then when I was physically dependent on other people, you cannot, I can't. I was physically forced to, if I, if I need to drink water, I can't get up and get a glass of water anymore. So I had to learn how to ask for help and ask for help in ways where you're not like being disrespectful to yourself and to other people. You know, in the beginning, it was very difficult to think about needing somebody to do every single little thing because I couldn't move anything in the beginning and I couldn't speak. Little by little, as I was able to connect with other people, you, I st- it started to expand and to be like, you have more to lose if you shut yourself off from other people, then if you have more of a sense of, it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to be wrong, but what is there to lose in asking a question and reaching out to people? I mean, I remember when I launched Clark's Botanicals, I emailed Anna Wintour a couple of times and she wrote back every time. And then I emailed the president of Estee Lauder, John Dempsey, and we became friends. And he emailed back within like minutes whenever we email each other. And it became the sense of people actually want to help. There's, I think there's more of a propensity of, we want to connect with other people. And in order to do that, it's not just about like asking 10 million questions and expecting favors, but yeah. being kind of genuine. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think like when we were in a couple of board meetings with work three years ago, I wasn't afraid of being like Columbo. 
in the meeting. I thought I was asking stupid questions, but apparently like they were questions that other people had also. Definitely. But you kind of sometimes like you're afraid to ask because you just, there's a sense of fear of being like the stupid person in the room. (laughs) And I just like kind of lay it out. Like I'm the stupid person in the room and I'm going to ask some questions, but I don't really care. Like I don't, I don't care if I'm perceived in that way. Yeah. That's so smart. So Clark's was this huge success and you sold it in 2016 and then you bought it back and you made it clean and made it even more gorgeous and more cool with new formulas and textures and packaging. And your fashion background probably really helped with that. What went into the decision to buy it back though? So when you're as a founder and I've spoken with a lot of, a lot of other people in the beauty industry that have done this and Janine LaBelle and I are close and we, you know, we would talk very She invented Stila for those who don't know. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, even talking to Vicky with Tatcha and Theris and Iceland and Casey at St. Jane, just understanding as a founder, when you're starting with this little idea that becomes a little brand, and then as it starts to grow, you have to realize that in the beginning, you might be handling operations and marketing and PR and <laughs> relations, and it's all you. But then as you grow, it's no longer about you. It becomes about the other people that you work with and the team that you work with. And as it becomes a brand, it becomes like a family. The reason why I decided to sell, we had, we had a couple offers, but the reason why I had decided to sell was because it was what was best for the brand. And I had a lot of conversations with other people in the industry that were like, why would you do this? It might degrade the brand and all, and all that stuff that happens with it. But I was CEO while we were acquired. I did the same exact things that I do now, but I just had to understand that there were other people to interact with. Buying it back happened because we were, we had sister brands that were much, much bigger than us. Uh And we're going through different kind of growing pains where the bigger kind of beauty conglomerate had to go into bankruptcy. So when they went into bankruptcy, I had the opportunity to say, you know, do I want to buy Clark's Botanicals back? And what am I going to do with it if I do? And without blinking twice, of course (laughs) I wanted to buy it back. And the reason why I wanted to buy it back is that we were a bit of positive. We were the profitable brand by Mm -hmm. far. And I don't want anyone to think that we were some big brand. We're teeny, teeny, tiny, like right from... Well, not quite most people still, you know, most people didn't know who we were and we had a lot of work to do still, but I didn't let go of anybody that was on the Clark's Botanicals side as we were going through that process. Mm. And it was very important to me that our vendors stay dedicated to Clark's Botanicals because we were dedicated to them as well. And making it goop clean was incredibly important. (laughs) to me that was always something that we did at Clark's Botanicals because 
it's the way that I was raised with my father and homeopathy and also traditional medicine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like I'll get blood work done twice a year, three times a year, and then I get vitamin IVs based on what I'm deficient in. So it's not just about like, oh, IVs are cool or vitamins are cool. It's really more about what's the empirical evidence of needing this and then getting it. When I also need antibiotics, I'm given antibiotics. And that's the way that we looked at Clark's Botanicals. And so then when clean became this buzzword, I didn't really understand what it meant for it to be clean and cool. I mean, that's the way that I've lived my entire life. But what I love about formulating products is looking at the synergies of different ingredients, looking at molecular weights, understanding the synergies of taking different active botanicals with traditional scientific ingredients and really integrating them and then doing clinical studies and also doing Mm. perception studies with that. So buying the brand back meant getting formulations that worked even better. There's nothing, there's (laughs) nothing that's perfect. And so we will always strive for perfection, but it will also always be improved. And Mm -hmm. with that, the packaging being sustainable now, that had to be as well. So, you know, that was a big undertaking. The formulations were like nervous breakdown. Like it was very difficult to- But the results are so amazing. I mean, it's just- Yes, you know, it's not necessarily difficult to make a product that is clean Mm -hmm. or natural. But it is very difficult to have an efficacious product that is clean or natural. Natural. And then luxurious and like have this incredible texture and, you know, to come up with visuals that represent it that are just, you know, cutting edge and beautiful. And I don't know, there's a lot that goes into any beauty line, but I agree. Clean people kind of think, oh, so it's in a brown bottle and it, you know, smells like chamomile (laughs) you know not yeah i agree well let's switch gears a little bit and talk about beauty like physical beauty (laughs) you're a very handsome man and style obviously comes very easily for you did becoming differently able affect how you felt about physical beauty your own and others and like how has that evolved a hundred percent i went from I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, but I, I went from having like a six pack to having no pack. You know, I had, I was 24 years old and you know, when you're yeah, 24, you're bratty and you feel like you're the center of the universe and yeah. that's very normal. I have one. Yeah, it's very normal. You know, that is just the way you are when, when you are that age. And I was very much that person. And then I felt like I had to deal with, talking about health insurance and all these other things in the blink of an eye. I mean, within a day, it, it just all changed. And with that, I would look at what it meant to be 24 years old, and then I couldn't move my hands. And so then my forearms became like really skinny. And then I started to get like, my arms became really skinny. Everybody else was getting promoted and getting engaged and going to Zoom classes and doing all this stuff. And like, you know, what does it mean to, what does it mean to feel beautiful? 
what does it mean to feel, to see beauty and to acknowledge that you can look different and still feel beautiful. And I have to say that was a very, very difficult process to go through because I felt like, it almost felt like I was suddenly 80 years old and a 24 year old. Mm, yeah. Like I skipped all I of had 60 years yeah. in one day in the way that I looked at myself. Mm-hmm. Not, and, it, and this was the most difficult part was accepting that um, other people might say, give me a compliment. I never would be able to accept it because I just never believed it. And so mm-hmm. I didn't leave the house for three years. I would shave my head bald mm-hmm. every day. And I would wear the same t-shirt every day and the same paper hospital pants every day because I really thought of myself as disgusting. That had nothing to do with being in a wheelchair. Yeah. That had more to do with the amount of trauma that my family had to go through that it's like, how could, how could I have dove into the shallow end of the pool? How could I have done that? With that came like, you know, because my, I needed to be dependent on other people. So my sister, you know, would spend, you know, countless hours taking care of me. And my mother would too, while they were going to work and studying. And, you know, and when that started to happen, I started to think of like, I don't feel attractive. I don't feel beautiful. And then I would see other people be like, you know, running along the West Side Highway. And it Mm -hmm. kind of, I was like, there's nothing wrong in saying that that is beauty. And there's also beauty in my life. But it took a long time to gain that self-respect. Yeah. And, and how, how had physical beauty been talked about in your house growing up? Like, was it emphasized, you know, where, where your, your parents say you were handsome? And... No. So I grew up in Italy, in Bologna. Italian was my first language. It's all we speak at home now. And it's my first food. <laughs> first food. Uh, best food. <laughs> in Italy with my, with my grandmother, when we would go out in the city, you had to get dressed up. You know, you wouldn't go in jeans and sneakers. We would actually wear like a nice shirt and nice pants and nice shoes. And there was a sense of if you're going to meet friends, it would be about respecting the fact that they wanted to spend time with you. So I didn't wear t-shirts. And the sense of what it what beauty is was kind of steeped in a sense of respect for like there was this tradition to it and then there was a historical reference to it because walking around in Italy you're walking by like you'll see a Starbucks <laughs> building that's 2,000 years old yeah. right so it's steeped in a history that when you're looking at you know when you look at Milan Fashion Week or some Italian fashion or French fashion there are these reference points that are so historical that beauty takes on kind of a different connotation. And my mother, and I agree with her, mm-hmm. was always of the point of view as like, don't get hung up on how good looking your grandchildren are to my grandmother. <laughs> not that she would say that, but she was like, that's not what is important. The importance is the curiosity and the intellectual growth and the conversations because 
And I'm very happy that that's the way that I was raised because if I didn't have that, then I wouldn't have a curiosity and I wouldn't have a sense of imagination. And that really was something that buoyed my confidence afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of going back to the thing you said about suddenly feeling like you were 80 years old. You make all these, you know, miracle skin creams and serums. I'm obsessed with the, the jasmine cream, the jasmine oil. And some of it, people are definitely, people such as myself are using it in a context of aging well. What's your philosophy on aging? So everything about, I think, aging and, and beauty for me is about those moments that you have, I think we, are, we all feel this now, after you take a shower, before you open the door to get out of the bathroom, are the only moments you have during the day where you're not expected to be accessible. <laughs> true, like, true. <laughs> if you haven't brought your phone in, yeah. <laughs> so, so you have those 10 minutes after you shower, before you open the bathroom door, that you're in front of the mirror, and those are the truly self-care moments. And for me, when I'm in that moment, I think about what do I need to get done today? How am I going to do it? You know, today I was thinking about talking with you guys on here and you think about, oh, I wonder what Jean's going to say. I wonder what Megan's going to say. It's just the way that my brain works. I start to visualize what I want to do for the day. And I think of, it's almost like a better version of myself doing it because you think about like, oh, I hope it goes like this. And then what ends up happening is, while I'm thinking this, I'm putting on skincare because those are the moments that I'm kind of like reflective and I'm putting on self-reflective, but also mm-hmm. literally, but I'm putting on the Jasmine Vital Cream, for example. Mm-hmm. But it's all about thinking about what do you want to do? Who do you want to be today? And realizing in that kind of Christopher Reeve moment that we were talking about earlier that you don't need to have somebody else be your hero. You should be your own hero Mm -hmm. and can be. And that's why I think of the, the different tenets of Clark's botanicals. It's heroic. And we stand by the acronym hero because we're all about holistic self-care. We're all about easy for every day. We're always about being radically clean and we're obsessed with results. So I never knew that. I yes. love the hero. That's amazing. Hero. The archetype of the Clark's Botanicals product parallels why the product was created. And I want all of the people that try our products, but really it's any product of any brand that you try, you should look better and feel better after you use it. And when you do that, you should feel more empowered. And we have an intention behind Clark's Botanicals formulations where it should replace two other products that you use. So our Jasmine Vital Cream, for example, or the Smoothing Marine Cream are two moisturizers. They work like a serum and moisturizer in one. And so when a product is made with intention of being immunostimulating to the second and third layer of the dermis with scientifically proven and clinically proven ingredients. You need less product to get it done. 
you start to see a result. They're expensive, so they better work, but you end up looking and feeling better and you don't need as much time and product, you know, to use to feel that way or look that yeah. way. That's why I try to keep our product assortment very small. Yeah. Because you can mix and match the products and use them in ways that you're not even supposed to sometimes is what we learn from our customers. But it's about using those 10 minutes that you have in those mirror moments and becoming your hero. You've talked about the, the jasmine, the amazing Italian jasmine in the line, but what are some other ingredients in there that make it feel so good and make your skin so glowy and plumped? So our jasmine catalyst complex is what took me five years to formulate with my father. And we've been through 78 different versions of it. And that is the oh backbone. Oh my God. That's the backbone of all Clark's Botanicals products. So that is a proprietary elixir that's in everything that we make whenever we formulate a product. I call it JCC, but I sometimes just say like JC, <laughs> Jesus Christ, but it has- My a favorite specific, line of meet the parents. Yes. <laughs> a, a, a specific amount of um, Janya Rubens, which is red algae. Mm. And we use a micronized version of Janya Rubens because the type that we use actually has better water retention than a traditional hyaluronic acid. So hyaluronic acid is fantastic because it will hold 900 times its weight in water when you Mm -hmm. apply it on your skin, but it's a large molecule, so it doesn't really penetrate the skin. So So when you wash your face at the end of the day, sometimes you're washing away a lot of the ingredients that have really helped your face during the day. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just like knowing that when you're using skincare, I wanted something that would penetrate the skin more. Yeah. So using this red algae, you're going to start to see the dry fine lines and wrinkles get plump. And then we started to look at different ingredients that would actually synergize with that, like niacinamides, B3. Mm -hmm. So we use time-release niacinamides to even out skin tone and really improve skin metabolism and increase the radiance in your skin. Then we use that with jasmine enzymes. And the jasmine enzymes that we use are naturally calming They help to boost collagen Mm. production in the skin. And it started to really balance out the more active niacinamides. Finally, we couple that with time-released Arnica Montana. And Mm. the Arnica Montana that we use is very calming, but because it's time-released, along with the time-released niacinamides, you're not just like throwing together an herbal tea that Mm -hmm. like anybody can make. We look at what it means to be using innovative botanicals and pushing them beyond what they would typically do if you would just, you know, make them yourselves. Mm-hmm. If you could make it yourself, what would be the point of buying a Clark's Botanicals product? So we were really looking at how do you take nature and make a superhero version of itself? <laughs> how do you make like a heroic version of a botanical <laughs> ingredient? And that's what the Jasmine Catalyst Complex did for my skin. And it, like, luckily our customers agree with that. And that's the only reason why I'm able to talk to you guys about it because our customers buy our products. So it's a constant conversation that I have with our customers. I mean, your skin is insane. It's like gleaming <laughs> with health. So glowy. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I, I, don't, I haven't left the room, so I don't have any sun damage also. <laughs> Quarantine has helped with that. 
Mm, there you go. <laughs> you mentioned earlier about blowing through the straw to make that ball move. And it made me think of the activist Edith Prentice, who advocated for people with disabilities, just died. And one of the issues that she brought up was people trying to ban straws. And she was like, there are many people in this world who need a straw in order to drink. I wanted to ask you a little about your activism, both for people with disabilities in general and people with spinal cord energy injury yeah. specifically. I got introduced to that whole community through you, you know, going to, to events for, for the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. You've helped raise millions of dollars. And at some of those, I've had experiences that that changed what I thought about going to a gala and giving some money to an organization. I will never forget. There was a video of a little kid who had been jumping on the bed, maybe when he was about two years old and fallen wrong and was supposed to be paralyzed from the neck down for the rest of his life. I saw the video and felt sad. And then a few minutes later, that kid and his mom walked out onto the stage and it still, you know, affects me when I think about it how that organization has been able to change the world. How, how has your involvement with them evolved, I guess? So, you know, when, when, you know, it became a brand in a jar, I said, great, mm -hmm. it's a moisturizer, that's wonderful, but it's not enough. And I thought, how can I take my former life in fashion, my my current life and, you know, change of life and being in a wheelchair and having a spinal cord injury and then my new life in the beauty industry, how can I connect those dots? And yeah. so I said, it can't just be a beauty brand. It has to be a useful tool for you to realize that you have a voice. First, I emailed the CEO of the Christopher Reeve Foundation, Peter Wilderotter, and he emailed me back and we set up a meeting and he came over and it was pretty much me talking for two hours. And then I met with all of their directors over the course of the next two to three months. And I told them that I said, you know, a portion of proceeds of Clark's Botanicals has to give back to mm -hmm. you, whether you like it or not. This is what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Because the whole point of me wanting to do more was Christopher Reeve and Superman. I said that to them and I was so incredibly honored after meeting with them that they asked for me to become one of their national ambassadors. And the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation is all about funding the care and the cure. Yeah, the um, for spinal cord injuries and really showing you how to live a full life today while envisioning a cure tomorrow. I augmented my involvement in what it means to push medical research and I joined the board of the Bioethics Institute at Johns Hopkins and really understand what it means to push for more in and looking for cures, not just for spinal cord injuries, but for so many other diseases and afflictions and understand how to navigate COVID. I mean, everything that I learned that Johns Hopkins was doing during COVID has been so remarkable to to be on the phone with the dean of the medical school and to see everything that the university did on a worldwide scale was eye-opening. And then even thinking beyond that, and I'm also involved on the board with the New York Stem Cell Foundation. And the New York Stem Cell Foundation is near and dear to my heart as well because it's about 
finding a faster pathway to cures for many different diseases. They take a different approach than a traditional foundation because they're looking at using a collaborative scientific approach to pushing cures on a fast track. And the discussions that we have on all three of those kind of platforms and Mm -hmm. foundations, they go hand in hand. It's one is very much um, informs the other. Yeah. Yeah. I love that part of it. I love, I mean, that's what I like about Parks Botanicals is the formulations also. I love discussing business strategies and, and things like that. But when you tie it all together in a comprehensive, why are we doing this? What are we doing? What makes us different um, from others? Why would anybody want to buy this product? It's, it's not just, of course, the product has to work. You know, of course, it has to be something that works on you. But what do you stand for? And what are you going to do to make a change in this world and make a change for the better? And I really push on our clinical studies because science and the scientific method and empirical data is very important to me because there's no refuting that. And, yeah. and that's what I really learned from the Christopher Reeve Foundation, from Johns Hopkins, and from the New York Stem Cell Foundation. And you've made it as sustainable as possible, or what are you doing to make it even more sustainable? Yeah, I mean, making, getting rid of the, the dual-walled jars is something that we did immediately, and we started to put everything into glass jars, looking at recycled plastic for the tubes, looking at sugarcane for the tubes, using better ingredients, um, using airless pumps, for example, so that product will not go bad. So you don't waste product. It doesn't go bad in the jars, in the pumps. And also you don't need to use preservatives that when they're made are also bad for the environment. It's not always just... Just your skin. Yeah. yeah, there's so many different levels to sustainability because you can automatically think of, oh, is the outer packaging made of recycled material? Yes, it is recyclable, yes. But what about the ingredients that you're using also? And what about taking a deeper dive into sustainability? And what about the local economies that you're helping to promote? I mean, all of our products are made in the United States. It's very important to me it would have been very easy to make a very similar and cheaper product in a different country and mm-hmm. make a lot more profit, but that's not one of our platforms. You know, it's important to us that we use local factories and that is something that we will always stick by. Mm. Your story for me sort of involves like real Self-care, you know, self-care has become this buzzword and we certainly touched on it a little on that moment in the mirror before your day. But it struck me just in this conversation of everything that you think might possibly apply to whatever it is you're doing and how you grow and expand and learn. And, you know, at Goop, we're sort of famous for (laughs) all kinds of strange practices and things. And I was wondering if there's any habits, practices, routines that you think of as the self-care that helps you recharge, keeps you energized? Yes. Self-care is how I was able to, I have a very active imagination, as you know, know, I'm very much a dreamer. I've always been my entire life. 
thank God that I've always been a dreamer because it allows for me to escape sometimes the reality that I might be in the moment to mm-hmm. think of this fantastic place that I might want to be in the future. I used to use a therapist for this to do guided meditations, to take these creative visions of what my goals are and to, I do a guided meditation every day before oh, I wow. go sleep. I started with the yoga three-part breath when I had to do lung exercises and when I was doing the horrible karaoke singing. But <laughs> when I when I started to do the three-part breath, I started to think of, okay, I'm doing the three-part breath. And it took me a couple of months to get to that certain level of lung function. But then I started to think about how do I do a guided meditation? What do I want to do? Where do I want to, where do I want to be in six months to a year tomorrow? And then what I started to do was every night when I would do this guided meditation, I would add more detail to it. And it would become this like crystal clear image of what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be and what I wanted to feel that when it becomes so clear and it becomes so automatic that I would do it every night, I automatically started to think of like, what are the little steps that I could do to get to that vision and make it real? And it took a very long time to make it a positive habit, but it became this kind of yoga state of mind. And it's funny because my former boss, Suzanne Cologne, she wrote a book about this yoga mind. And Mm. she actually taught me the three-part breath when I was at Mount Sinai in New York. Wow. And, And she taught me guided meditation. And it's not necessarily about doing these moves that you mm-hmm. see in videos and stuff, because I couldn't move anything. So for me, it was about connecting to the state of being. And the only thing that I could control at the time that really any of us can control is what we think or the way that we think. And so I, I had to really come at it from a point of view of what is the right way of thinking for me to see progress and for me to feel whole again, and it started from that one, that one minute of, of asking that question to myself and then with intention asking and progressing from there every day. And so I went to the three-part breath and then I went to active meditation and then it went to writing down what my dreams were and realizing little steps that I could achieve to get to that dream And then realizing that I have a right to, each one of us has a right to this, but each one of us has a right to dream out loud and and work towards it. Make it happen. (laughs) So that was, for me, that is self-care. Self-care is also talking to friends and having a glass of wine and like reconnecting um, with people and and really like spilling my guts and problems that I might be having. That's what you do with friends and having that true, honest, open relationship with people. Like not being perfect. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Not, and, not, and not have being your, your efforts going into trying to be. You've been quoted on the subject of happiness a lot. And, you know, your answer just then talked about it a bit. But, ha- you know, our whole culture in some way seems to be like, what's the key to happiness? How do I make every moment of my life happy? But how, what, what's your approach? happiness so i was very lucky to be part of a pbs documentary on happiness with so great yeah and dr gilbert did so many studies at harvard on happiness and what it means to be happy and he looked at different people who 
underwent different paths that you might think they would not be able to be happy again. And from my experience, resilience is the thing that makes me happy. And the resilience in each of us is one of those things where you might think that it's impossible to get something done, but you still go to bed and you wake up the next day and you work a little bit more at a seemingly impossible situation. And I've seen that with my paralysis where I was told I was going to die. I was told I had a 19% chance of surviving the next few years of my life. Amazing. But he was wrong. And then I thought, like, <laughs> if he's wrong about that, what else could that surgeon be wrong about? Yeah. And so that created a resilience of just keep going. Don't stop, keep going kind of thing. Yeah. But the resilience, when I see it with my two nieces and my two nephews, you know, with, with children, mm-hmm. automatically resilient. And that's, it's so refreshing to see all the time. But as an adult, I started to experience it when I would really look at my mother and my father as sources of knowledge and, and ask them, like, really lean on other people when I didn't feel like I had the strength to. And that taught me resilience as well. I mean, I'm, in, in the end, I'm really the same as I was before. I say the same stupid jokes. <laughs> I laugh at the same stupid things that I did before. But really, it's, I'm sitting, and I still can do all the things that I did before, but I had to do them in a different kind of way. And that just means thinking about it in a different way and being creative and imaginative and open to, you know, those conversations of how do you get this done? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, going to dinner, like meeting friends at a restaurant, I have to do it in a different kind of way now, but I still hang out with them. I still end up having the experience. Yeah. Yeah. You still, I still end up having the same memory and conversations with them than I did before. In fact, maybe I have a bit of a better, like a wider spectrum and appreciation for, for experiencing what it means to have true friendship. And I appreciate people a lot. So, yeah. Yeah. And where, where do you want to go next? You personally and Clark's Botanicals. Where do I want to go next? What do you I want would to- love to go, literally, <laughs> I would love to go to Europe and I would love to go to oh. Italy. I do miss traveling and, and COVID has kept me hyper-localized mm-hmm. Westchester County in New York. So I'm open. I'm very excited about traveling again. And, and with that, you know, experiencing different cultures and really kind of seeing the world. Again, Clark's Botanicals, where we're innovating a couple very exciting botanical ingredients that we're doing clinical studies on that are very collaborative with scientific universities. So I'm excited about all that we're doing there. We're expanding internationally, which oh, wow. is an honor for us. But like, you know, we work at it every day, so it feels... Uh, I don't know. It, I mean, Jean, it's like when you talk about, oh, I can move my arms more now. That's mm-hmm. very similar to Clark's Botanicals growth because I'm the only investor. You know, we don't have, mm-hmm. we don't have investors. It's, yeah. it's me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what I love about it is the fact that 
the team at Clark's Botanicals is so passionate about everything that we do that they love the brand just as much as I do. And it's such an honor to work alongside other people that we don't work in a hierarchy. We very much sit mm. at the same level and we always have very passionate group discussions about new product innovations and strategies and business strategies. And I mean, even looking at our PL and like speaking, talking about finance with Clark's Botanicals is a very passionate discussion. But that's the whole point is that we care. Engage, yeah. <laughs> We're engaged and, and we care. And that's why you asked earlier, why did you buy the brand back? It's really because we are a family and they have families. And it goes to what does it mean to be sustainable? I mean, a brand has to be not only sustainable in what they're packaging, but how are you supporting your, your employees? And how do, you, how do you think about, you know, having a long-term relationship with people where you continue working with them even through the hard times? That, to me, is also very much sustainability and the environment sure. they're creating together. So we're growing um, we're expanding our footprint in the world and we're constantly innovating with product. But ultimately, like, what does it mean for Clark's Botanicals to grow and to be a success is that, you know, we always strive to be the number one trusted clean skincare brand in the world. And with that, we want you to feel like your own hero. You know, we want you to feel like you own your voice and we're just a tool to help you get there. That's kind of like the, the metaphysical way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. I just, I love it. I, I love the way you just pull from every aspect that could be considered, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's the milieu that, that things are in yeah, you know, or that we're in, you know? I mean, you know, and we talk about this with, and you guys, I'm sure hear this all the time, like with social media, from the brand point of view, sometimes it, people will only talk about influencers sometimes. Mm -hmm. But it's grouped into this discussion of this like thing that doesn't feel always organically connected to what you're discussing. <laughs> and so yeah. it's important to me that whatever touch points we have with Clark's Botanicals are authentic and resonate with people. And that's why we are we are always that determined underdog <laughs> where we're always, you know, we're always still here and we're- Yeah, the hero is still here. <laughs> the hero, the, the underdog hero is still here and, and we always will be, but like we're not going to be the brand that launches nine, 10 products a year yeah. just, to, just to do that. We're not going to waste money on things that are, you know, frivolous kind of, flash in the pan kind of stuff. We make sure that we have integrity in everything that we do because we care about our customers and, and we make sure to be connected with that vision. So it is always about a connection and it is always about having that feeling of understanding the people that you're with and that you want to be with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I certainly appreciate our connection <laughs> over all these years. I like it's kind of <laughs> incredible, but I I so appreciate your taking the time with us and sharing so much wisdom. It's something, you know, it sounds so corny, but it's 
I'm taking an awful lot away from this, this conversation, you know, to live my life with. So thank you. Oh, please. Thank you. It's such an honor to collaborate with Goop and to speak with you guys. And the Goop team is always on the phone with us, giving us, it's funny because I will ask advice from every Goop person that gets on the phone with us. Oh, so good. (laughs) And when we're planning, even with the buyer, with like the buying side, it's always so collaborative. And it's very different from other conversations that we would have, we typically have had with more traditional partners. And so this, it's very refreshing to see. So. Oh, so good. That is very good to hear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you for doing this so much. Yeah, thank oh you. my God. Are you kidding uh, me? Always. And I, 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 love your, I love your charcoal cleanser. Oh, the dual charcoal detox. Oh, yeah, with the little beads. So good. Did you know, so that has time-released shea butter in it. Oh, really? Yeah, it continues to moisturize for hours after you use it. But what's cool about it is that after you wash it off, it's still moisturizing. So So they're doing it now. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Even better than I thought. Oh, that was such, I mean, the, the word inspiring does not, it always sounds yeah. so cliche and it's just, he is a truly inspiring person. I want to take a lot of what he said and apply it to my life. And he is one of those people that just looks the way he feels. I mean, he looks so handsome and vibrant and alive and he is, you know, he's done he's so much to crazy. be that way. He's like radiating health and and confidence and yeah, just and curiosity. (laughs) And like he talked about resilience. Yeah, I love that the resilience, the key to happiness. We all people want it in a punchline, and they do. Don't think about resilience often when you think about what the key to happiness is. Yeah, and I kept being struck throughout the conversation of when he would talk about depending on other people or pulling in other ideas or considering the other angle. He just seems to have this kind of 360 view of things that really enriches life. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. And I've just noticed so many smart people saying the same thing about asking for help and admitting you don't know the answer, even if you're in a position of leadership. And it is a really great way to lead. I think it is because it encourages everybody to ask questions, which is of course how you uncover, you know, a new way of doing something. It's everything. I love the way he put it like that. He was just like, I don't care. I'll be the stupid person in the room. I grew up in an academic family where everybody was so smart and, (laughs) and I, I'm not the most mathematical or scientific and everybody else is a little more talented in that area in my family. And so I relate to sort of having that difference of being like, well, I'm not going to be able to please you on the level that that you want to be pleased. So I might as well just go do what interests me, you know? (laughs) Were they like smug intellectuals or they were sort of like, didn't like foist it on you? They weren't smug in any way, but it was one of those things where, well, when I was little, I used to think that after dinner, the, like if there was a dinner party or something, the adults spoke in a different language you know, because they were all using like scientific language and stuff. I sort of realized I didn't have their same capabilities at all. But I had other capabilities. So, 
you know, I mean, I went with that. Clear, you are like such a like intellectual, like, <laughs> I mean, I write about beauty products for a living, like, I, not to diss you, but <laughs> they're, they're like scientists, but yeah, yeah, but yeah I get that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess every human being has that feeling that they don't, they want to sort of know, like they, they know what they're doing. And, and of course we don't. Yeah. You know? And, and I get, we always talk about, we've talked about this a lot, how like the corporate vibe is sort of disappearing at a lot of companies as mm-hmm. it should. And I think that's such a key part of that. Like the leader being like, I don't know the answer to that. Let's investigate instead of we've always done it this way. Keep, yeah. Keep going. I mean, it's, it's, it's really true. And it's something I you know love about working at Goop because certainly yeah. you and I both had the experience of working at a company where, where it was very corporate and yeah. those kinds of decisions did not lead to success for that company. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Whereas asking questions and being kind of open the way Francesco is, is so sort of, open to what might be helpful, what might be useful to what other people's experience is, you know, something I feel encouraged about at Goop, you know, I feel like where people are interested in actually what your real experience is, and that it affects our corporate culture. And I hope the rest of the corporate world (laughs) change some Ah. and become more about, you know, like he was even talking about sustainability that, you know, you're paying these people's salaries and you're also contributing, you know, you're putting, you're either putting in terrible things into the environment right. for them or good things and, you know, all that, but that it is this closed system we live in. Yeah. Yeah. He, God, he just, Ooh, he, he knows so much. And, and I love what he was saying about how he is doing the same things as he was but he's just sitting, you know? Yeah. And of course he is, but also his mentality is just, and his insight, like he gained so much. Yeah, it does seem that way. I mean, he just, I loved all his, you know, the idea of sort of visualizing what you want. Yeah. And you've got to know what you want, which is most my problem. Yeah. And just how he talks about his accident and going through it and coming out of it. It's just... Yeah, he's just remarkable as in the word. It's like hard to, to well, say. Well, I, I, I think about the podcast. There's an incredible podcast on the big Goop podcast with Gwyneth, with Martha Beck, that is all about telling mm-hmm. the truth. And he feels like he, more than most of us, is able to just live in his truth, having, you know, like what's true for him and say it. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't seem, you know, yeah, he doesn't tell you how to feel about what happened to him or how he's triumphed. Right. Yeah. It's like, this is, this is it. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. And honesty. Oh, I'm so inspired. I want to, I just want to go back and listen to this and follow what he said. <laughs> and I want, now I just want to go use that Jasmine cream because, like, oh, his, his skin is like insane. Like, I just, it's crazy over Zoom. It, over Zoom. Yeah. He's just like radiating. That, the texture of that cream is so incredible. I just, it's like divine. Yeah, I gotta go get some. <laughs> <laughs> so on the site, I do a column called Megan Tries It, and you do one called Ask Jean, and we get a whole bunch of beauty questions. And we're going to answer them all here, right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so should we get into today's Ask Me Anythings? 
Or maybe ask us anything? Yes. And if anyone's listening and has a question they want us to answer here, just send it over to Goop on Instagram or Facebook. It could be about self-tanner, crow's feet, dry shampoo, parabens, our favorite bath soak, non-toxic lube. Or anything else. Now to today's question. Okay. Anna C. wants to know, um, I'm going to ask you, Megan, because you happen to be pregnant for a few days longer. Um, (laughs) What are your favorite clean beauty products for pregnancy for both your hair and face? So my routine really hasn't changed because my I've been you know pretty I'm, I'm I've been into clean for a while now but I I have to say no products are specifically tested for pregnancy because that would be unethical obviously so you should always you know check with your doctor before using something that you have a question about but but know that going clean with your skincare and hair care is like the the best place to start whether you're pregnant and and just normally too. So I love, first of all, vitamin C is, you know, there's, there's no question about whether that's harmful or not to anyone or, you know, no controversy about that. And it's great for all skin types. And the vitamin C from Goop is just one of my favorite products of all time. Vitamin C is super hard to keep stable and keep potent, but this one comes in this two-part system that you mix yourself right when you get it and it lasts three months. And it just, it rules. It's like brightening and it's mildly exfoliating and it helps firm your skin and it has some sun protective benefits, although you still need sunscreen. And it just makes your skin look better, like noticeably better. Um, so I love vitamin C. One of, there's so many amazing face oils. One I'm, I've been obsessed with for years now is the, is Bittner's Daughter. It's this blend of amazing active oils and botanicals and it's super skin balancing and makes your skin radiant. It's just, it's the best. You need like four drops and it takes you through the day. And then exfoliating is always great for your skin. It really depends on the person, how many times a week you should do it. But uh, it really has a brightening effect. And if you're blemish prone, it helps tamp down breakouts and there's physical exfoliation and there's chemical exfoliation with acids and maybe, you know, ask your doctor before using something with, with acids in it. But normally when I'm, you know, normally I use the, the Goop Glow Microderm exfoliator. It's a face polish. So it's like a gentle scrub that also has glycolic acid in it. And you use it a couple times a week and it is just like you leave it on for three minutes and it's like a facial in a jar is what GP calls it. And then let's see for hair, hair is something really, it's easy. It's easy to go clean with hair care. Now it is so good. It's like, wasn't caught up to clean skincare for a while, but it is so good right now. And my favorite, one of my favorite brands is Rawa, their hydrating line. It's so good. It's so good. The shampoo and conditioner are pink. It smells like faintly of mangoes. And it is so freaking good. Like your hair is smooth and manageable. And my curls are like just like, you know, weirdly defined after. And I I air dry, I don't blow dry. And it's just it like works on my hair type, works on jeans, it works on everyone in our department loves it. And we all have different hair or a different race. <laughs> so it, just, it works for everyone. It's so good. That's it for today's episode. 
Thanks again for joining us on the Goop Beauty Closet. You can learn more about our podcast series at goop.com slash beautyclosetpodcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to listen to other great episodes by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Bye.